Hello, everyone, and welcome to .NYC. We're bringing you another episode of Ready Demo Launch from the heart of Times Square at CUNY's J School. I'm Sapna Shah, today's guest host, as Jeff Jarvis is out today. And today's show brings four new technologies to the fashion industry. I'm joined by two esteemed panelists, Pano Anthos of XRC Labs and Pavan Bal of O- open source fashion. Thrilled you could join both of us. Um, would you like to just quickly introduce yourselves? Oh, starting panel. Sure. Okay. Um, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur and started XRC Labs just over a year ago. It's a retail and consumer goods accelerator based inside Parsons, and open to the world. Great. Papa? Great. I'm the founder of Open Source Fashion. Started off as a community, then we went into biz dev and consulting for. Uh, innovations that uh, focus on retail and fashion. Uh, in that, we started a couple podcasts that are top in the world now. Fashion is your business and uh, American Fashion Podcast. And I'm the founder of a program called the Global Fashion Battle, which is on January 27th to 29th in New York City. <laughs> Little plug there. <laughs> okay. Little plug. That's <laughs> fine. Um, so our first guest was just named Technologist of the Year at the 2016 Brooklyn Innovation Awards. Veronika Harbeck of Thursday Finest. Veronika, tell us about yourself and what Thursday Finest is all about. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so Thursday Finest is a uh, vertically integrated knitwear brand. And oh, here we go. <laughs> it's a third, uh, vertically integrated knitwear brand. So we are making custom, personal, and really individual apparel that's made on demand and at scale. So we launched about a year ago. And we are making four different products since we launched. See if I can show those to you. There we go. Um, so we make ties, knit ties, scarves, socks, and we just released hats as well. And so all these products are customizable for color, style, and very importantly, for fit as well. So we call that granular sizing. So all of the products can be customized for that. And let me show you how it works. So we have this proprietary customization engine that enables the consumer to visualize what they're making so they can pre-visualize the colors. And then on our end, that um, translates into how we program the machine for automation. Um, We have a 3D knitting machine. And then we produce the products and can get it to customers in a few short days. So let's say you were making a tie and you wanted to find the perfect shade of red you could select um, to darken the color and you could preview that right there. There we go. And you wanna also get a perfect fitting length of your tie, so especially for someone who's um, you know, shorter than six foot or taller than, than six two, um, you wanna get that size right. So you just tell us your height and we figure everything else on our end, there's no measuring required. And so with all of our products, they're customizable for style, color, and size. But with socks, we also enabled you to be able to change the text on the back of the socks as well. So you can add custom text um, and pre-visualize that as well. Um, And we're not only rethinking the manufacturing process and what we can do, but we're also changing how the products um, are made and rethinking the design. So with our socks, for example, they're the first feet-shaped socks, which means that they have um, a much better fit and they actually look like your foot. So it's like a 3D foot when you look at the sock as opposed to like an oval with a rubber band on your toes. Um, So they have a a right heel um, that really cups your heel. And then they also contour your your toes and have um, a seamless toe as well. So we think of what we're doing as the new fast fashion. It's responsible and sustainable in that we don't have any inventory. We just make things as you order it. Um, And then we can respond to trends really quickly. So that's the fast fashion part where where we can get it out very quickly and actually change and update programs um, from order to order. Um, My co-founder and I are 3D network programmers, so we can adjust these programs based on feedback very quickly. And this is what it looks like on the inside. So this is um, the 3D knitting machine making an orange uh, tie. Um, So you have the different needles coming up, um, knitting each row of of here merino wool yarn. And because of our manufacturing process, it means that we can really manufacture almost anywhere. And we did that with our um, pop-up shop that we opened actually just a year ago. We were making products for customers that they could create, see them being made, um, and walk out within an hour. So it really changes the relationship between um, the experience of shopping um, and and the experience and and connection that you have with the products that are being made. Great. Panelists, feedback. Panel, let's start with you. Well, actually, I know Nico well, actually. (laughs) So we go back uh, uh, over a year. Um, I think they've made huge progress. We're a huge believer in the machines and what they can do for knitting. 
Um, the, the thing we've always had a conversation around is building a brand and how hard that is. And that would be my only, as I said, uh, otherwise these guys are amazing and they've got great talent and great skill. And that's the thing that we're always struggling with is, is building a brand is really hard and expensive. So, so similarly, um, you know, we, we've been friendly with the team at Thursday Finest for some time. Actually, uh, full disclaimer, used them um, for my wedding this past October uh, to fit my, all my groomsmen, uh, my dad and uh, my wife's uh, father and brother. Um, what I found tremendous was uh, that you were able to do the really small sizes, like um, for my nephews, mm -hmm. you know, three years old, five years old, um, as well as um, you were able to adjust the width for the first time, from what I understand, to accommodate the styling of uh, the elder folks um, that were participating. Um, again, to, to Pano's point, branding is going to be... Uh, a tough thing it's always a tough thing to build a, a steady brand and um you know with, with you guys i feel like it, it needs to be positioned when and where people are looking to purchase that item which mm -hmm. is difficult because you have these huge uh, shimaseki machines and um it's a tremendous experience so when seeing you guys on a conference floor uh when you bring that machine out like the fashion tech forum it's a, it's a it's a draw it's an attraction and i think that you should uh use that to your benefit <coughs> i think that you should bring those machines if you um, if you have the investment, um, and and be where the customer is looking for that. So, for instance, um, I think a company that went through XRC by Reveal, another mm -hmm. one, um, mm -hmm. they do these temporary pop up like flat pack um, stores, and they position them all over. And maybe it'd be interesting doing some market testing through there, so you're position maybe outside of trade shows that are happening mm -hmm. at the Javits Center or uh, maybe uh, you know talk to the folks at registry like gifting registry places because that's so trending like mm -hmm. Zola mm -hmm. and um, I, I mean it's uh, it's a tremendous product um, you guys were able to do it quick and it's quality so I think and it's an amazing gift so I don't know how holidays went for you guys but um, definitely need to map out a really really hard strategy for for holiday yeah and it's been um it's been such an exciting first year so when i look back on this year um, it's it's one of those years where you can look back and say whoa we did a lot um and so we're really excited about this year um kind of blowing out that brand more because one of the the best pieces of feedback we get from customers is how much they love like the brand and um you know our our copy and, and packaging is, is something that we hear a lot of feedback on um so yeah it's 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 getting in front of customers and that's like a big push for us this year um so we get more awareness um we're also actually going to be at nrf this weekend so we're bringing the machine um so looking to do more of those pop-up opportunities and and looking for for different types of people to get in front of as well you has know b2b oh. been a thing i'm sorry no, has b2b been a strategy that you've looked at i mean we're, we're all kind of all saying the same things and, and you're mm -hmm. saying it too yeah. that it's hard to build a brand and get in front of customers um have you thought about doing a pop-up in an existing retailer yeah, so we're, we're looking at those opportunities. And that's part of the initiative of being at NRF is to, to get in front of those folks. What about the interface? Can you white label it and, um, you know, and, and give it off to, like, tailors and things you like that? You took the words out of Hannah's mouth. <laughs> I stayed quiet. I haven't said anything. Yeah, yeah um, we're looking at that as well. Um, there's just, uh, you know, for a retailer, there are certain challenges that come with it. And we think that right now, based on our conversations, it's easier to come in as a brand, take care of everything, um, both from just, like, the logistics side for them um, and and for us as well. But I think that's something well, for the future. Well, when you first started, you were talking about marketing or directing your efforts towards um, taller uh, gentlemen. Um, and it feels that, so my tailor that I go to, you know, he outfits a lot of the Knicks, a lot of football players, you know, just a, a lot of athletes. And it just seems like in a perfect alignment that they're going to him um, for those mm those items, those mm -hmm. related items, and he doesn't necessarily stock uh, material to print out ties. Mm -hmm. I'm almost positive he or, doesn't. Or a machine in the back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And you did, mm -hmm. you, did, you did a collaboration with RFM, I think, right? The tall um, athletic, or you were going to? We, yeah, we were talking to them. They're, they're some of our, our, our best uh, repeat customers because um, any, anyone who's, who's tall or shorter, like right. that really has that need, once they experience it, it's, it's a no-brainer for them. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so speaking to those, um, 
uh, companies as a B2B play also works as well. Any um, focus on women's accessories? So women are our customer. I mean, we have almost like 50% split because they're buying for for the men in their life. Um, And then as we get into different products, they are starting to buy um, Uh, the hats, the scarves, mm -hmm. Um, even they're buying our smallest pair of socks. So we see that we need to, um, you know, grow with them. As I'm uh, recommended to these guys is that the personalization trend, which is a growing trend, requires that even the material can be interchanged, which is tough to do. But if you look at the Starbucks model, it's, you know, you can get this coffee or this coffee. You can get any coffee you want. You're limited in your choices, your base level. But just like the wools would be the kind of thing where I, I want a merino or I want a cashmere and I want some transparency to it so I know it was raised by you know children uh, on a farm in the middle of Peru. That kind of storyline resonates really well with people and that creates this more niche, in, in a positive way, high-end opportunity because the mm-hmm. products still have to be relatively expensive because of the speed of the machines. Um, they, the machines can't go that fast to produce you know, 50 of them in an hour. Mm-hmm. So there's a, but anyway, I, that was the other thing I was gonna um, just suggest is if, you, if you've been looking at the material swap out and make the material part of your personalization uh, platform. Yeah, I think that it starts to change what that product is. So if you wanted the same scarf in a cashmere, it would start to feel like a different scarf and maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't perform the same way. So um, with socks, we added cottons. Um, we're looking at cashmeres and um, we're, we're close to getting silks as well. So um, definitely looking at a wide range of, of fibers. With your new product development, have you had any hiccups with the hats? Because I know you were talking about even having the fit customized, mm-hmm. like how they want it flopping and stuff? Yeah, so the, and this is sort of what we, we think about with, um, you know, developing a product that is like great on its own, and then um, you can mm-hmm. kind of shift around. Um, so the the hat right now, you can wear it in multiple ways. You can wear it floppy or you can wear it as a beanie, um, and then you can customize it for, um, you know, regular But or you large. haven't met with any stumbling points, any bottlenecks? in developing new products and doing these things. I mean, there's we're creating a new manufacturing process. There's bottlenecks and stumbling yeah, 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 blocks yeah, everywhere, so you're just constantly working through them. Okay. Um, I actually you just have to stop keeping track and just push through the next. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. What about sweaters? I mean, we've been talking about accessories, but is there a mo- you know, do you see a future product kind of pipeline into actual apparel? Yeah, what yeah, about I my think, hooded cardigans? Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a really interesting um, place, and I think um, we're just evaluating what are people ready for um, and what do people really want. Sometimes you don't want to be too early to those mm-hmm. um, places and make sure that you can do it still affordably, um, or you're doing it on a much higher end, and that's a very different customer. So we're, we're looking at that space. Do your machines, are they able to support that type of garment? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so just the Shimas will do just about anything. Eileen mm-hmm. Fisher's rolling out a, a dress um, made on the Shimasekis. So that, it's a coming trend. This is why we're yeah. huge fans of what they're doing. Um, and, but it is a, it's a much, much more complex manufacturing process. It takes longer to produce, um, and therefore they're more expensive. Yeah, it, 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 and you have to, um, so the sweaters get knit, then they get washed, then they get blocked, and that's where it actually like, you seal in the size during that process. Um, so it, it does, it requires a lot more people, and when you really go through that process, you understand um, why a sweater, like a great made sweater is so expensive that's made in the U.S., um, because it does require so many people. Right. Well, we're um, almost about to wrap up, so, you know, Tell us um, what kind of help are you looking for? What's coming up in this year for you? What, is there anywhere, any way that we all or the any of the audience listening can help out? Yeah, well, we are excited to um, pioneer this new manufacturing process, um, make really great products. So we always love to hear what people love, what's working, um, because we can shift the hats if someone wants something different or Pavan wanted a different um, width, and that's something we can do per customer even um, to, to make customers happy. Um, so I think it's just um, you know get a product and let us know what you think. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have David Roger from Felix Gray. We're going from knitted items to eyewear. How's it going, guys? What's going on? Welcome. Hey, how are you? Hey. So my name is David Roger. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Felix Gray. We're an eyewear brand based around eye health in the digital age. 
So the average American now spends seven and a half hours a day in front of a screen, which I'm sure all three of you know what that's like. Uh, and that has we have a, few screens a, few, up here. a few ideas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that has its consequences. So according to the Vision Council, which is a completely independent group of optometrists and ophthalmologists, there's you know over 70% of millennials alone experience things of digital eye strain. That's eye strain, eye fatigue, headaches, blurred vision. And all that comes from staring at a screen all day long. So that's what we're trying to solve. Uh, this all came to me. I joined a program called Venture for America, went out to actually work for Tony Shea at Downtown Project. And while I was there, I was building financial and operational models. Basically, that meant staring at Excel 12 hours a day, and my eyes started to you know, bother me a significant amount, and friends who had also just graduated and work in investment banking, consulting, dev work, whatever, they were kind of complaining about the same thing. So my co-founder and I started. My co-founder came from UBS's Global Asset Management, um, staring at four screens for 15 hours a day. He worked harder than I did. Um, and we kind of thought, why isn't there a fashion-forward, brand-forward product in this space? And something that makes people not only, you know, their eyes feel good, but their egos feel good at the same time. So that's kind of what we did. So we went into a beta period in January of 2016. Um, we kind of thought, let's do an on-the-grounds approach. This is a new product in a lot of ways. It's a new market segment. Are there people that actually want this? So from January to April, we did these office try-on programs. We go into an office and offer up to 50 pairs of glasses for a free two-week trial period. So we worked with Spotify, Uber, LinkedIn, Barclays, some really cool companies. And we were seeing that one in five people are actually purchasing this. So we figured, okay, there's something here. We were able to iterate on the product a little bit, uh, which I have, which you guys are more than welcome to check out. Um, and we knew we had something here. So we got into ERA, an accelerator of New York, Entrepreneur Roundtable Accelerator, uh, and we started, we soft launched with Business Insider in May. Since then, we've been building a really digital marketing oriented company, something that any direct to consumer brand needs to do, and cost effective acquire customers. So we've actually been growing uh, pretty significantly, which has been really fun. And the best thing of everything is that. Uh, our affinity metrics, so return rates, product satisfaction, has maintained as we've scaled up, which has been really exciting. All right, so, so what do they do, actually? Sure, yeah, so the lenses themselves filter blue light and they eliminate glare. So those are the two uh, main culprits behind digital eye strain. So blue light is high energy light that comes off of an LED screen. That suppresses our melatonin. It also, the high energy can cause eye strain. And glare is unnecessary feedback that enters into our eye. Any screen is gonna produce it. Um, and so by eliminating glare and filtering blue light, you kind of mitigate those negative effects. How do I look? You look fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those are great. Are we going into feedback? Yes, go ahead. Why don't you start since you're wearing them? <laughs> since I'm wearing them. Um, I, lo I love the idea. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I I'm curious to see the, the reports, of course, uh, on the health benefits sure. and the effects. Yeah. And I assume that they're all. Yeah, so there's you know, lots of yeah. studies that, that I'm, you know. Um, but so what I, what I do love about your product is. Um, that I actually see people in bars uh, that are wearing glasses without prescriptions, <laughs> and um, they're a, a immediate direction of ridicule. Yeah. Right. Um, because they're doing it for the style. Uh, they weren't blessed like me with a negative five and a half <laughs> prescription in each eye, so I could rock glasses. Uh, what I do like about this is that um, you can make a really fun brand out of playing with that angle. Totally. Um, because essentially you're not going to, these aren't prescription glasses, right? Right, so can yeah, that's be? a great point. So yeah, they can be. So right now we're just okay. non-prescription. So we're starting with people who either have 2020, uh, like myself, I wasn't blessed with negative five, uh, <laughs> or, <laughs> or uh, who are contacts. Um, mm -hmm. And then we're actually moving into reading glasses in Q1 of this year, and then we'll move into prescription by the summer. So it is possible to do everything. What we're seeing mostly is actually about 75% of people who are buying, their main reason for buying is eye strain specifically. Mm -hmm. So this is something when you're staring, you know, you're an analyst or you're a developer, whatever it is, staring 10, 12 hours a day in front of your screen, your eyes do get bloodshot at the end of the day, they do get tired. And you want a solution that doesn't make you look ridiculous in the office and get you ridiculed. You want your ego to feel as good as your eyes. <laughs> Anna. You know, I, I we talked with these guys early and um, 
I like a lot. Kyle, is there anybody you don't know in this? No, 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 no. no. Uh, look, they they uh, they jumped at ERA before we could uh, could make an offer to them. But um, the thing that we struggled with on this one, and we love the we love the support that this does, the medical impact it has. One is the iPhone now has that whole blue light, yep. daylight, mm-hmm. nightlight feature, right? And it doesn't have it on lap- laptops yet, right? So so that's one of the mitigating, like, okay, how often do I have to use this? And are there other solutions out there that mitigate the, the impact? Sure, yeah. So on that front, I mean, LEDs or, or any high-energy light from a screen is going to naturally be producing blue light. So whereas, you know, night shift or flux is really good for changing the temperature of your screen. So when you're in, you know, your, your bed late at night and it's all dark and then it's a white screen in front of you, that contrast is bothersome to the eyes. But it actually isn't filtering. It's not doing anything on the blue light side. Right. Um, what it's doing is it's just eliminating that contrast. So the blue light effects, which is going to suppress melatonin, the glare, all those things are still coming regardless of if you have flux or night shift on your computer or not. Got it. And that, I think that complexity conversation, so I clearly didn't understand totally. that's right. I had this little slider, oh, this will get rid of the blue light yeah. problem, right. it goes away. And free versus buying something that says this will solve the problem requires an enormous amount of education. Sure. That's the thing that, I, the two things I would say is, one is the public has to get educated, yep. and that's expensive, but you know, happy to support that. And the second is, if you start get if you start really actually getting traction, what keeps Warby Parker from just walking in and going, mm-hmm. done? Totally. Yeah, those are those are two really great questions that we always get. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I you know we have done a really good job on educating people, and a lot of people they know about flux, they know about night shift, but their eyes are still bothering them. So they're like, okay, this is something's not working. Um, and actually, we think of those as good things because it primes the market. It yeah. introduces them to, you know, it, you know things like LED screens and why they're not good for you, why glare's not good for you. Um, on the Warby Parker front, you know, there's a variety of answers we give. You know, the first and foremost is, you know, already what we're seeing in, in banks and startups across New York and across the country are people saying, my eyes are bothering me, hey, you should buy a pair of Felix Grace. And that's already how it's been going. It's It's been really exciting to, to see that growth. Um, the second thing is, you know, this is an expensive input. So, Whereas Warby's buying a, a normal lens that has been done you know, many times over and the input's far cheaper, we're spending a lot of money on the highest quality product that we can get. Um, and because of that, it's very difficult for Warby to just build that into their business model. Take something that costs 50 cents and times that by 10, 20x, and offer it for the same $95 price point. How much are these retailing for? We sell them for $95. Okay. Yeah. So we've done a few different things on our on our uh, supply chain, but we've also known that the margins that we're getting right now, as though they'll go down, they're not going to be anything like you know some fashion apparel can be 10, 20x. We we don't expect to do that. We want to give our price point an honest, fair price point. Ultimately, what we think is everyone's in front of a computer. Everyone needs a pair of these. We don't want to be selling at three hundred dollars. And are th- are there other downstream effects of having restful eyes? Like other other like am I going to be more awake? <laughs> well, I mean, some conclusive uh, medical related um, effects. Is there is there something that you know? I guess you you mentioned melatonin. Yes. Um, so so that's that's going to be, uh, better your sleep at night. So blue light, um, right? So blue light lives next to UV light on like the on the light spectrum, and mm-hmm. so um, you know blue light suppresses our melatonin. What happened when we were cavemen is we go outside, out of our cave, there'd be the sun, we get some blue light, we'd be like, okay, hunt an animal, go to bed, there'd be no more blue light, we'd be able to sleep. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, I was you know up at 2 a.m. writing emails in front of my computer. Uh, times have changed, and so a lot of people have trouble falling asleep at night. It's because actually just their computer alone and what it's been producing on their eyes. So uh, to Pano's point, um, defending against competition, it seems that your strategy has to be hard and fast type of thing uh, where you need to just penetrate this market uh, aggressively. Yep. Um, how are you? 
Yes, yeah, so we've yeah, so um, I mentioned before that we started building out a pretty uh, successful uh, digital marketing machine uh, this summer, um, and we employ everything from Facebook to Outbrain Taboola, um, influencer marketing now, getting into the referral program space. So we've been really good at keeping a very cost-effective um, cost per acquisition. So with our, you know, with our CPA and you know with our Cogs, we're still producing, you know, still getting a contribution profit, pretty significant contribution profit per each item. So we're actually a cash flow positive company at this point. How are you retargeting? Are you retargeting from purchases made on like Casper, or Sleepies, or or maybe um, Sleep? Aids and things well, like that. I mean, we do a variety of different things. I mean, like any ad strategy, it's not going to be that simple. Yeah. But you know, one of the biggest things is we look at you know across the country demographics that really respond to our advertisement, and that's kind of the top of the level. And then we're really good at retargeting them once they've come to our site and getting them to ultimately purchase. Uh, so, just uh, taking a quick glance of your website, um, when you're mentioning when you're talking about your product. Sure. It makes sense to me. I understand it. Um, by scanning through your uh, your website, I didn't feel educated. Okay. So I think that that's going to be um, you know going back to the difficulties of branding. Sure. I think storytelling is going to be your biggest asset, and you're underutilizing the uh, the opportunity. There. Sure. Were you what specifically were what pages were you on? Just you know. That's yeah. So um, I wanted to to navigate to look directly for the medical. Um, advantages. Sure. And then I um, I was found. I was met eventually with kind of like this side scroll type of sure uh, UX, and that for me was first hard to find, and it wasn't engaging. Sure. So um, I think video might be a lot better for you. Yep. Um, doing things like this <laughs> would probably <laughs> help also. <laughs> um, but yeah, just just getting the word out there and the education is going to be uh, the the biggest challenge, and you're also the, the biggest value for you. And and ironically enough, and I say this carefully, um, your name actually may be um, hurting you, not helping you, because it sounds more like Warby Parker than it does something else a technology different. that saves my eyes sure and I don't know that you want to sell that way I mean I that's why I'm saying I'm, I'm guarded about sure. I wouldn't just say you need to do this because I'm not sure that's the case but you see products that have been very successful in the market that have you know just medical 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 but it's consumer product like nasal sprays and you know some of these things that are out there or the shampoo my daughter uses which is got writing all the way around the bottle and I don't mm. understand you know but there's a <laughs> So, yeah. so, the, so the difference so, there so is so. that you're putting gla glasses at the end of the day is a fashion accessory, and so we are combining. You know, we're a functional and a fashionable company at the same time, and that's actually why we've been able to see the success that we have. Okay, um, fair enough. And that, I, I think piggybacking off of the 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 Warby Love is is fine. It's good. It's uh, I think it's smart. But uh, where did you come up with the name? What uh, does so, it mean? So, so gray comes from a gray owl, and we name all our all our. Uh, all our frames after scientists and mathematicians, that kind of speaks to the sophisticated, intelligent part of the brand that we want to create. Um, and so Felix comes from uh, a Kurt Vonnegut character, Felix Honecker. So he was, uh, that's my favorite book. Um, and he's uh, a scientist in that. So that's where Felix comes from. And then a gray comes from a gray owl, that's our logo. Uh, you know, an owl is both wise, sagacious, but also has good vision. Interesting. So what about partnering with um, eye doctors? I mean, I went to my eye doctor because I said my eyes hurt when I looked at the screen, and she said every 10 minutes, look up and look, yeah. look away from the 20, screen. Yeah, 20, 20 rule. Yeah, that's actually a good rule. I definitely recommend uh, that. So, you know, it, you know it, had she maybe prescribed or, or referred me to something like, um, you know, one of your glasses, that might have been more likely for me to comply versus remembering to continuously look up. So that's screen. a really good point, and one of the – aspects of the referral marketing program that we're looking into right now so nice. yeah, there's a medical component to this and yeah I think that's, that's really the, interesting that's, a, that's the challenge is just um, you know my wife recently went to an um, optometrist for a brand new set of glasses and the choices on lenses were overwhelming I sure mean, the number of you know Swiss and Italian and French and there's this whole kind of anyway gestalt around you know optics and how important optics are so I you're in. A, you're you're more than a fashion product, right? Of course. Warby just went after fashion and said we're going after the fashion angle, inexpensive fashion, so you can have mm -hmm. five pairs, right? Yeah, and it won't hurt you. This is much more about the the benefit. Seems to be 
right? Med- medically inclined or... Mm-hmm. Um, totally. So. And if you go to your, you know, there's optometrists and ophthalmologists that will then charge you an arm and a leg for what we offer. So we are looking to partner with the right optometrists who want to be able to offer this thing and not charge three, five thousand dollars per lenses, which we've actually heard of customers that have done. That. Have you thought about testing a subway ad? Uh, that is, we are, we they're, are. Uh, they're wildly. They're effective. wildly effective, and, and uh, you know, and, and even like the 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 thinks one right that I see every day almost where it says, um, you know, you could have your free trial period. <laughs> yeah, but are you are you thinking about a free trial period? Because this seems like something I would want to test because I would be a little bit you know skeptical. Sure. So we do free shipping and free returns within thirty days for that exact reason. So what we've seen is is it positioned as free? It's shipping free thirty shipping. days yeah, and returns, so when or you is are it on the site, or is it a trial period? No, it's free shipping free. You returns. may want to switch the language on that. Sure. Yeah. All right. I think we have to wrap up. This was great. Any last? kind of words or anything no, I think that you want to talk to us a about? lot of really good advice right there. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for coming. All right. We should probably give thank these back. Yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Cool, man. Can I wear these for the rest of this? Uh, <laughs> for the rest of it? The, yeah, the go ahead. Stuff? Yeah, cool. Love the packaging. <laughs> yeah, the packaging's great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Up next, we have Amanda Curtis from 19th Amendment. Hello. Hello. Hi. Cool. Welcome. (laughs) Great. So I'll just dive in. So for 19th Amendment, um, my co-founder and I are very much left brain, right brain. We met about four years ago. And I'm a former fashion designer from Parsons turned tech entrepreneur because we like solving problems. So as you probably all know, but a little bit of education for the audience, there's a huge disconnect happening in fashion around seasons and designers producing on the runway yet not hitting the store for eight, 12 months, depending on. Um, Yet the rules of the game have really changed because you have fast fashion retailers who are knocking off those designs and bringing that product to market much quicker. So therein lies a huge gap in retail and an opportunity to get products to consumers quicker um, and to help these brands um, make a profit off of their designs. So basically what we're doing at 19th Amendment is taking all that amazing design and making it branded and making it shoppable on demand and made on demand. So in essence, we're the only marketing and manufacturing platform for launching amazing fashion with on-demand US manufacturing technology and fulfillment. So the process is designers come on to our platform. They pay a monthly subscription fee, so we're very much a SaaS company. Um, They digitize their designs. They put it for sale on our site, 19thamendment.com, or on their own site. Um, Once there's a sale that comes through our platform, it is then triggering the manufacturing process, which is all done in the US and sent out to a network of partner manufacturers. Um, And then we distribute it directly to the consumer. The consumer is updated at each step of the way, so it's a very connected process. A little bit more on the techie side, this is the PLM system that we created for all of our brands where they upload and digitize their tech packs. On the consumer-facing side, it's this place for brands to tell their story. It's all about storytelling in the process of design, not just Mm -hmm. product as product. And we collect all of that consumer data on the back end so that these brands can make very educated decisions and understand their customer before investing in inventory. So we like to call ourselves smart fashion, not fast fashion, because we like to collect data. It's very authentic. Um, It removes the risk and it's a full price model. We're not discounting. We have sustainability built in. We only produce what's actually purchased. And there's a huge opportunity for this, more and more so with bigger brands now looking at us um, to reshore some of their manufacturing and to get to the consumers quicker. And we have a fantastic team um, of investors and advisors who are experts in the field. And for anyone out there who knows anyone who could add some strategic value we're always looking for more people to join our mission. Great. Yeah. All right. Panelists, feedback. Um, so I, I'm a huge fan of, of the alternatives to fast fashion. There's an enormous sustainability problem we're going to have with people dumping clothes mm-hmm. into the rivers uh, or pellets or whatever it degrades into these days. Um, the thing that I heard, which 
I wasn't quite sure if I was hearing you right, is you're building a marketplace of sorts, is that right? We're a two-sided marketplace, um, but we are powered by this back-end production management system. Right, Yeah. right. So you have buyers and sellers, or you mm -hmm. have suppliers and you have buyers. Correct. And you have to really gather both, is that right? Sort of. So there is the marketplace because what we found is that these independent brands have such a hard time getting traffic to their own sites that right. having a marketplace where people could discover new fashion um, was valuable to them. But our system also works on designers' own e-commerce site. So it can channel both ways. Do you handle all of their products or just select products? Um, it's usually select products. Are um, they using this as kind of market test or pre-sale? Like, how are they using 19th Amendment from your it's, experience? It's a lot of market tests. It's a lot of pre-sale right now. But once they go through the process the first time, then they build their collections around the process because mm -hmm. it's a much smarter way to launch um, and to produce without that inventory risk. Um, you made a huge splash. Um, I guess it's going on a year ago now, right, with Macy's yes. and doing a whole yeah, activation guys. during your fashion <laughs> week. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, did, you didn't do that <laughs> with us. But yes. yeah, yeah, you did the announcement with us. Um, uh, you know, do you, do you see, was that an exclusive deal with Macy's? And mm -hmm. of course, they're a bit under pressure right now. Um, but so like, where, 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 what's next, right? What yeah. relationships are you looking towards? Sure. And how did that work out for you? Sure. Um, so we were the first startup to partner with Macy's Anka about a year ago. We did a link out from their site to offer their consumers independent emerging designers, emerging designers which was huge. A huge opportunity for the designers. Huge opportunity for designers, yeah. big opportunity for Macy's because we brought them a whole new millennial customer. It was mm -hmm. exclusive for that time. So it did put us on a little bit of a hold period. Um, now we don't have that exclusivity. The, the link is still live. Okay. So our whole go-to-market strategy is all about partnerships because we can bring partners an exclusive audience and new brands that they couldn't otherwise have in store. So we do have some exciting things happening in 2017 that we'll be announcing next month. Okay. You don't want to make any of those announcements right here in this little <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could. <laughs> well, do you... Do you um, so... I'm assuming getting the word out there isn't always the easiest. You, of course, have a community of designers that yeah. are supportive and, and driving traffic to Our you guys. Our designers but, are amazing. Yeah, but they don't probably have the same reach as a mm -hmm. larger company. Have you yeah. thought about trying to make collaborations with larger brands and by the look of your face? We have, we'll, okay. and hopefully we'll announce that soon. Um, I think next Fashion Week coming in a month is a huge opportunity because we had seen out by now with a lot of the bigger brands yeah. last Fashion Week didn't exactly. go as well because you had a lot of merchandise that had to be planned out nine, ten mm. months in advance, and mm -hmm. it was the merchandising team that was deciding what was going down the runway, not the designers. So with ours, it's see now, buy now, make now, and that changes the game. So on the make now, mm -hmm. um, for the larger brands, stockouts are a huge pro would be a huge problem. How do you avoid that? Um, so on the make now, they can do limited runs, which increases the exclusivity. So that allows for the consumers to have something special and made just for them. It also allows for some pre-planning and data gathering. Um, but what we encourage our brands to do is to really use our PLM. We scrape all of the um, notions, all the fabric, to make sure that things are in stock and use that in an intelligent way when they're planning out their process. So I'm going to run on the assumption that you're going into collaborations with larger brands. Um, with that, <laughs> are you going to be? Are you going to? So now, are you going to be using their um, their already set up manufacturing processes, which would probably make the most sense for them, or do you need to bring it to to the U.S. to stay within the 19th Amendment? Uh, thesis. So they so brands any brands that come to us can get their manufacturer onto our technology. It's absolutely free for the manufacturer. It's a very easy system. As do they have to be based in the U.S. Another announcement you. coming soon, but oh, right Jesus. now <laughs> we do everything in the U.S. for a few reasons. Right. One, um, business turnaround. It's for four to six weeks. Um, we do um, negotiation with some of the manufacturers. They get better rates and better turnaround. Yeah. We are expanding. Okay. We'll announce that soon. But, you know, there's a whole push for made in the USA now, and mm -hmm. we don't really know where that's going to go, especially in fashion. So we see it as a value add. Do you, do you see yourselves as a as a platform or the entire supply chain? Um, I because I, I, I love the idea, but I struggle mm -hmm. with the idea of scaling if you are literally every piece of that process yeah. compared to being 
software platform we're, that every brand could drive. We're definitely the software platform. I mean, we're not doing the sourcing of the fabric. We're not the complete supply chain, but we are the platform that makes it happen. It's it's really a full ecosystem testing platform. Got it. Did you build all this software proprietary? Or are yes. you using other like tech packer no, or anything like that? No, 100% proprietary, all ours. Um, we spent the past year and a half building everything going to our manufacturers. They have their own dashboard. It's quite an extensive system, and mm -hmm. that's really what sets us apart from everyone else. And yeah. I, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. No, no, please. You're on roll. Wondering what's the, <laughs> you know, what's the, the process of onboarding a designer? What are you looking for? Oh, yeah. Um, so we opened up our platform as of September. So any designer can come on, including students. We have a student rate, and they can set up their brand um, before we were only taking 12% of applicants. But how do... How do they so go you're not merchandising in the sense that you're you're allowing anyone to come on. Anyone and, should and be And if they able could drive sales, then they'll come then, to the the homepage. Then or they come up to the front. We might bring in some curators to come up to the front on the consumer side. But we really want to democratize fashion in this way and give this tool to all brands and all Did, designers. Didn't Fashion Stake try to do this? Were they too early? Fashion Stake was more about they weren't voting. manufacturing. But no, they, they were... weren't manufacturing, and it was about voting, not actually purchasing. And we are all about voting with your wallet because that actually determines if something's going to sell. And so then on your platform, mm -hmm. because you are allowing essentially a free-for-all on the design side, yep. how do you create a look, a style, a brand, or is it truly like Airbnb where you can find yeah. anything from, you know, a think, mess to a palace? Think of us as like the Etsy for fashion with a scalable back-end manufacturing solution. So it's more about the curation that we bring in or that we decide to feature based on that data. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also how we bring in some of our exclusives with Macy's and Lauren Taylor is looking at the data, but truly want to be that marketplace because that helps all the brands on there. Right, but an Etsy does not work with any big brands. They're really, yeah. you know, their brand is little brands, right? That's their brand. Right. So they, they're known for it. So if you're looking for a one of a kind, you go there, you don't mm -hmm. go to somewhere else. How do you, if you're working with big brands and designers that are mom and pop, how do you maintain a integrity of your brand? Or, and what is your brand then? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably one of our challenges is figuring out that curation and what we're offering to the consumer. I would argue that some of the brands that we're working with as bigger are actually small in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that aspect. And then Etsy also kind of partners with some of these bigger players. They mm -hmm. also partner with Macy's. There's another way to look at it that's more collaborative um, and not just so focused on the independent. It's really leveling the playing field across. Well, when you talk about doing collaborations with larger brands mm -hmm. that are more established, um, that gets me more excited about 19th Amendment mm -hmm. rather than going towards the, um, the student um, mm -hmm. designer base uh, because then you do you do fall into that cloud of um, of Etsy and and right. also just uh, where where people may want to go to 19th Amendment to because they know that there's gonna be exclusive things from exclusive brands mm -hmm. um, or designers that are really at the top of their game and only those um, you also uh, start sounding a lot like beta brand out of California mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering how you distinguish yourself from from their platform yeah, so I think we're very industry-focused, we're very fashion-focused, we're trying to offer a solution for this industry that is changing so much mm -hmm. um, and that it's being forced to change. I think with Beta Brand, it's less of it's less of a fashion focus, and for us, the manufacturing is actually handled by the designer, so that mm -hmm. they're overseeing it. So it allows us to scale a lot quicker um, and to offer that solution to a lot, a lot, excuse me, um, a larger variety of brands. Yeah, and I think you hit it on the nail. Like I think that's what we were both saying is that keeping the fashion focus is going to be really important. Yes, it is, and I completely agree. That's the reason we started this. Cool. What's the consumer response been like? That's been amazing and really interesting to see. So on the consumer side, we're attracting a million, mainly a millennial consumer, and I think that's because it's fashion as experience, not just fashion as product. You get to follow the design from like story and concept to actual production, and then you 
at the end of the day, get a piece of fashion history in your closet. So consumers are willing to spend on average $300 per item, which wow. is amazing. Um, and our return rate is 7%, so return That's of tremendous. garments. Wow. And I think that has to do with like, if you're going to purchase it, someone's going to make it, it's ownership, it's anti-fast fashion, um, and it's something that you're also partaking in. So that's How about your referral activity and repeat purchases? Repeat purchases around 30%. So once, it takes a little bit of time for someone to make that like initial jump because it's mm -hmm. new, it's a different process. But once they do, the quality of the actual garments is really, really high. Um, it's made locally, you know that there's a person behind it, so there's that ownership. So I think people are interested in that, and it's also something you can't find anywhere else. So is it, it's, since, sorry, since it's an experience, Yes. what is the lag time between when they first visit your brand, mm -hmm. your site, whatever you want to call it, and they actually make a purchase? Yeah, um, it, it depends. We're probably a little bit too early to really pinpoint that. I'd say it probably takes two visits or so, two or two, three visits. We see a lot of people watch. We have new collections launching every week. So if you don't see something that you like first week, there might be something later down the line. But we're still trying to pinpoint exactly what that looks like. Great. Great. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with that you haven't mentioned? Um, no, I think that's it. But if anyone knows any okay. great designers, mm -hmm. uh, feel free we'll to tell them about away. 19th Amendment. We're open. Oh, actually, I did yeah. one. Sorry. Yeah, Can I jump yeah. back in? Sure. Um, on the manufacturing side, uh -huh. um, are you working with networks like Makers Row? Or how are you? Nope. So the way that we get all of our manufacturers is actually through referral from our designers. Because okay. we know that they're good to work with independent brands first. Then we independently go in and check on the manufacturer, onboard them you to do the technology. Audit. Absolutely, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, we need to know that they are good to work with and that they're ready to adopt this technology as well. There might be something there Yeah. in a collaboration. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Great. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. Up next, we have Veronica Cabezas from Gino Style. Hi. Hey. Welcome. Hey. Thank you. So, um, Gino Style. Um, Gino Style is a fashion technology startup. We provide algorithm-based solutions um, that look into the style uh, DNA of brands and consumers. Um, the problem that we're trying to solve is with all the overwhelming options available to consumers nowadays, they are demanding a higher level of personalization, but they're fall falling short of meeting that need. So um, we want to be part of that solution to help them move away from that brand-centric model where they're taking a very broad stroke approach to the demographics when it comes to brand positioning to the consumer-centric model where consumer style preferences are driving all the business decisions. Um, the solution that we propose is quantifying style. What we do is quantify the style, again, DNA of brands and customers across a proprietary taxonomy of 15 fashion styles. This helps create a common language of style that drives consumers towards the products they love and then helps retailers um, actually provide those products for consumers. We have two main business solutions. The first one is um, our style API, API, I'm sorry, the style API, which integrates with all the online channels um, to help provide intuitive product recommendations to the customers and also automate personalized responses for each individual customer in real time. The second solution is actually a SaaS platform. Um, and what it does is centralize and augment the current analytics with not before seen style insights so that retailers can truly understand their individual customers at that granular level and understand how their style preferences are driving their financial performance. We recently completed a pilot with one of the top uh, retailers in the UK and uncovered opportunities to increase sales by 17% just by matching the style affinity between the brands that they carry and, um, and the customers and what the customers are buying. We did the same thing with another pilot of one of the top three retailers in India and uncovered that if they're able to align 
the product, uh, you know, their portfolio of products with the actual styles that their clients are buying, they would increase um, growth by 34%. So that's where we are right now. Great. Let's start with Pavan this time. Sure. Um, so uh, I get inundated with um, uh, data plays a lot, uh, particularly yes. also then styling solutions as well, right? So uh, it feels like everyone's trying to tackle the, the whole styling uh, conundrum for brands. Um, how you're doing it is very intelligent. Um, it was an effective strategy for the Trump campaign, doing psychographic yes. personalities and bucketing people into different um, quadrants and and targeting the, the marketing effectively based on that. And that seems to where you're you're, you know, that's the strategy there. Correct, Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a great product. I think the way that you're doing it again is is really interesting. And just for some clarity, are you going? You you have to be going after, um, you know, either large marketplaces or department stores or like the thread ups yes. of the world where they're continuously changing over um, products. Yeah, so we are going after multi-brand retailers with a range of products large enough where it really makes sense to apply uh, mm -hmm. advanced analytics. We're hoping that you know we have some development goals for this year, and then uh, we're hoping by the end of 2017, our technology would be at a place where we can work with individual brands. But right now, the idea is to go after these multi-brand retailers. So uh, can I ask a question? Um, yes. Uh, no, no, no. Okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're on a roll, so I didn't want to get in your way. Um, the, the taxonomy that you build and correlate it to a consumer, how does that consumer self-identify? Self is there a survey they have to take, or is it you're just watching their shopping behavior? What, what's going on? So that's the beauty about that. Um, some of the current personalized models take trunk club or stitch fix. They still rely on heavy human input. And also the consumer has to do a huge, well, an extensive survey yeah. in order to learn more about what those style traits are. With us, it's totally automated. So we, um, if we're working with a retailer, we gather the POS data to start with um, to build this genostyle. And then we apply machine learning to constantly adapt to the style changing preferences of their consumer. Uh, one of our development goals for this year is to also include visual search. With that, that's going to be extremely powerful, not only for existing consumers, but also to help retailers acquire new customers. Because when they're going on your site, mm -hmm. um, we have developed a visual survey that takes less, literally less than 10 seconds to complete. They just select certain images, and just with that, we're able to build a very basic genome style. Now, with the power of visual search, our technology will be able to go into their social media, gather or capture all those um, images, and immediately start providing personalized product recommendations to those customers, even if they are not existing customers already. Yeah, no, I agree. A visual search is going to be the key to, to making this actually move. Uh, very aggressively. And if yes. I can continue, sure. so um, identification of a consumer, um, email, are you working off of email addresses? Oops, what, what's the identity? Because um, POS data is can be anonymous, right? You, you, if it's frequent shopper, that's grocery, that's yeah. not Macy's credit card. What are you working off of to identify me? So the um, because of privacy concerns with the retailer, we only get sanitized data. Right. So there are there is no credit card, there's no name. We're right. just getting the past purchase data. We're also getting data other sorts of data, like how they're interacting with your website. If they are, uh, for example, with this retailer in the UK, they were able to tell us if a customer was spending a little bit more time on a certain product versus another product, so that helps a lot. Or products that they like, products that they add to their wish list. Perhaps it's not something that they bought, but that's actually very, very telling because it's something that they aspire to buy, but maybe because of financial reasons they can. But that gives us a great insight into what's driving them to actually purchase a product. So, can I jump in here? Please. So, I think what you should, I mean, a good angle for this would to be going after brands that already have a native app, a shopping app. Yes. Because ultimately then they do have the Facebook login or the LinkedIn login, and then you could connect to a database that's established like Cambridge Analytica that drove these campaigns, the political campaigns. Um, they already have four or five thousand data sets on every single registered voter in the U.S. And then you could get really, really sophisticated with 
what you're doing on the styling suggestions with what their preference are and in terms of what brands they like, uh, what their friends like, where they're shopping, where they're, you know, um, that is when I would get really excited about what you're doing. Because the thing that I'm still, I, I love 99% of what I hear, yeah. and the one thing that's not resonating with me is the identity of the consumer. Because yeah. that's the hardest thing to get. Once you have that, all kinds of great things come out of that. But until that yeah. happens, you're dealing with 96% of the entire audience doesn't register emails, don't you know? They don't convert. So there are anonymous cookies running around, if you will, uh, the webs, the, you know, the web sphere. And yet, you need that. You need my identity to create a profile for me, however automated that may be, mm -hmm. in order to sell me again. Um, so that's where I was asking about: Are you mm -hmm. looking at just cookie behavior and saying, so "Oh, you're you're looking at those pants, so you must be this kind of." You know, yeah, stylist. I think that because of where we are right now, and obviously it, this is all part of our development goals, but we have to focus our resources. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, what we're looking for is working with those loyal yeah. customers that they already have all this identity information Got on. So, right. uh, so the brown the back customers of like the Bloomingdale's of this world, they already have all the information. The loyalty, the loyalty yes. place. That is our starting point. Fair so, enough. So going back to that though, it's it's so important for you to work with people again not develop this on your yeah. own but work with people that have an app that where you know if i'm on guilt or if i'm on shop spring or whatever the marketplace is i'm already accustomed consumers yeah. have no problem logging in with linkedin or facebook because it's easier yeah. they know they're giving up their privacy and that trigger can open up the identity um to the the data points i mean times 20 30. absolutely and then you have things like apple pay that right. can actually, you know, open those opportunities even further. And yes, absolutely, we're going after. Yeah. So we are a B two B company. We're working with these retailers. Um, that's the space that we're interested mm -hmm. in. We're not at this point, uh, although they've been there have have been talks about creating something that's going directly to the consumer, but not something we want to do right now. From the investor standpoint, you look at Guild, which you mentioned, yeah. which was supposed to be a unicorn company, and that didn't pan out that way. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest opportunity is really in the innovation of these very established uh, retail leaders that are seeing either flat or even declining sales compared to other new models. I mean, and they're still new that we don't know, mm -hmm. new enough that we don't know what's going to happen in the, in the long run, but models like Trunk Club or Stitch Fix that are growing at triple digit rates. Mm -hmm where you have these traditional retailers, again, uh, growing in single digits. So that's that space is primed for disruption, um, and uh, that's what we want to focus on for now. So to try to, for me to summarize, because there's a sure. lot of really cool stuff going on, is are you essentially telling the retailer, look, we can help you tune, fine-tune your product selection, your Correct. product pages, everything, based on the traffic the named traffic that we see your loyal your loyal customers correct is that where the miss is they've got the wrong product on the wrong pages they well there's different things yes that's one of them but they also just have they carry um, there's a misalignment between the product that they carry in general yeah. with what their customers are buying got it so the, so being able to tailor specific product to individual customers exactly so what that's what we do like we feel that so fashion is something that's you know, temporary, it's something that's trending, trends change, but style and how you it's express, very it's right. very much yourself. So I think that the key is how do you quantify that very abstract concept that is fashion? So we have found a way to yep. do that, to quantify the style DNA of not only products, of not only individual consumers but brands, so that we can match them. And that way you can drive key decisions across all channels, whether that is the product selection that you have on your website and what is the first what are the products that are presented to you once mm -hmm. when you're visiting that website or when you go on on an app and I'm looking for a white dress. I just don't have time to to search through six pages of products. I don't. I navigate a weight and most likely I'm not gonna come back. So I have no style, but what's his style? <laughs> <laughs> He's got style. What's his style? It's interesting. I would have to great glasses. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well you know so we have created this um, style taxonomy of fifteen proprietary fashion styles, but that is customized to every retailer. So I would say right now from the one that we have, it's edgy, bohemian, but do you live in Williamsburg or in Brooklyn? South of that. Okay. Yeah, so you look very like Brooklyn hipster. Um, awesome. Right there. My, bro my brother would love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Give him some more ammo. Send him the link to the show after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so that is taxonomy. It's something that we've created, but that is customized to, to every um, retailer. So just quickly, where we are now, we are raising um, half a million dollars for 15% of the company. Uh, my partners actually moved to London. We have found amazing opportunities with retailers in Europe, and we got accepted in this amazing product created by the New York City Economic Development Corporation and the City of Milan. So for a global exchange program, so that's going to solidify some of these opportunities. And so that's a kind of like where we are now and what we need some mm -hmm. guidance. And brand positioning, because I've been hearing your input and I think it's, it's key and it's definitely a big challenge for uh, startups. I was connected yesterday on a call with a gentleman um, out in the Netherlands that's building visual search um, data. And to approach the market in a similar way, uh, does it make sense? To, are you looking for collaborators? Yeah, we, we are talking. I'll be open to that connection. We are speaking to um, a virtual search company in Spain. And so, again, part of the, this, the development goals, once we raise our, our, our funding needs, um, is to make that um, a part of the process. But I would be open to, to speak to someone else. And how about downstream? You mentioned uh, aggregating images from social. Are you going to be looking towards like a curator, an Olympic, or a live story, something like that? It's funny, I know the owner of Olympic. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, we have kind of brainstormed about that, but we really haven't. Um, it's, that's further. Yeah, it's farther, further, but, but uh, yes, absolutely, because I know the founders of Olympic, and it's, uh, they just had a very successful mm -hmm. acquisition. So, but it's definitely down the road. Yep. Yes. No. Great. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for your thank time. You. Thank you. And thanks for joining us, Pano, Bevan, all of our yeah. esteemed startups. Uh, stay tuned on January 31st. Jeff Jarvis returns at 11 a.m. live. And if you haven't already subscribed on YouTube.nyc show, do so today. And you can also find us on iTunes here on Facebook. So be sure to follow us, like us, and tell us how we're doing. Thank you. Hi to my four Facebook friends that might be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> my, to my mom. Yeah. <laughs>